It's the mid-1950s, and the Cold War is in full swing. The nuclear threat is becoming more of a reality to NATO, its allies, and opposing forces alike, with military technology expanding at an exceptional rate. Within the technologies is the development of aircraft. With every country pushing their planes to fly faster, climb higher, and carry more weapons than the enemy, one country briefly stood above them all, our peaceful country, Canada. With threats of the USSR attacking over the Arctic becoming too evident to ignore, AV Row Canada, still riding off the success of the CF-100 Canuck, creates an airplane that is to this day considered an aeronautical masterpiece, the CF-105 Aero. But why did this amazing aircraft never enter service? What caused the program to be cancelled, bringing Avro Canada down with it? And why were the aircraft and all related technologies ordered to be destroyed? Fasten your seatbelts and spool your engines. This is The Spoof Files. And welcome to the Spoop Files. I will be your uh, captain for this voyage, Daniel. <laughs> and I'm your co-pilot, Maya. And I'm your ship's engineer, Alex. And I'm telling you this thing won't fly. <laughs> See, oh, goodness. Oh, man. Already. <laughs> yeah, we're getting right into it. We're getting right into them. I've missed the pun. Well, that's oh. good. So, I guess a little bit of, uh, little bit of explanation as to... Uh, as to why our captain is our captain this week. Oh yeah, I guess that I, uh, would be a good thing to explain, wouldn't it? Who is this dream? Yeah, we you know. Yeah. We, um, Maya and I had been kicking around the idea of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Maya and I had been kicking around the idea of doing an Avro Arrow episode for quite a while because I've always been fascinated by it. It was one of those things that when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, this thing's amazing." Went to the um, um oh, what is it called? The Toronto uh, Air and Space Museum which unfortunately isn't there anymore uh, currently, um, and, like, saw the arrow that they were trying to, like, reproduce, and it was it was so cool. And I was like, oh, that's amazing, and the story was cool, so I was like, we got to do a spoop file on this. And then I was having discussion at one point with Dan, and Dan was like, that's my shit. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> so... is, that is basically how I said it, not in that exact way, but it is absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dan is essentially, like... He's, well, you're a huge, like, history buff and a huge war buff. Yeah. Um, and you like planes. Exactly all of the above. So, <laughs> so we figured what better way to uh, cover this episode than with somebody that does know so much about it. Because, you know, sometimes our research isn't as good as pos- as it could be. Sometimes we get, uh, you know, one rebellion and another rebellion mixed up. But, uh, yeah, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, that's the thing uh, that we do. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're calling you out, Alex. I I don't know what you're talking about. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we decided we'd do an episode on the Avro Arrow and like the whole discussion about it because honestly, it's just a very interesting subject and there is conspiracy about it and uh, we'll get into that. I'm sure Maya will get deep into that. <laughs> um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, we should probably introduce the actual Arrow and... Uh, give you guys an idea of why we're so excited about this plane because those those of you outside canada may not know it's true it is a very sort of canadian based thing because 
even though it was sort of marketed to other countries, it was only Canadian based for, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the Canadian subsidiary of a British company, right? And then, yeah, they did exactly, uh, they yeah. eventually try to, they did eventually try to market it to uh, other, like other markets, but initially it was supposed to just basically be ours. Um, and then they were like, exactly. Well, yeah. And then it was so good. We figured, yeah. Hey, we could sell this to people. Yeah, exactly. Or at least try. So yeah, Dan, why don't you uh, why don't you get us started on some of the uh, just uh, specs? Yeah, just kick us right off here. So um, <laughs> uh, potentially one of the most interesting things. Um, well, one of the most interesting thing was that Canada was involved with during the Cold War was with the uh, CF one hundred five Arrow. Um, it was a supersonic interceptor that never entered service, yet it still managed to leave a mark in Canadian history. Um, the Arrow was most likely the brainchild of James C. Floyd, uh, one of the lead engineers and aircraft designer for Avro Canada prior to its uh, shuttering. The reason it was created was uh, the West, which was embroiled in the Cold War with Russia and the larger East, or at that time it was the USSR, um, it needed an effective response to the new long-range Soviet bombers um, that were being developed, as well as hydrogen bomb tests that had been um, taking place very recently, um, uh, what, very recently to the time it was uh, developed. And yeah. so the CF-105 Arrow was designed to be a direct counter to these bombers, as well as premier combat aircraft of its age. It sounds like the Arrow was quite the craft, or... At least it was, you know, touted to be. Did the design live up to the hype? Well, actually, in this case, it really did. Um, the Arrow was easily the most advanced airplane to come out of the 50s and honestly could still probably give some modern fighters a run for the money. I am a complete advocate for that point. Um, mm -hmm. The CF-105 was designed as a two-seater jet fighter slash interceptor. Uh, it had a max speed of around 2,104 kilometers an hour. That's... Over Mach 2 for those keeping score at home. And it had an operational range of over 650 kilometers. Um, the armament of the Arrow, which was quite flexible, by the way, uh, it included a suit of air-to-air -air options, had some air-to-ground, as well as the ability to carry two nuclear missiles. Well, and people say Canadians are nice. <laughs> yeah, well, times were different back then. Uh, the CF-105 also paved way for the aviation history with a slew of technological innovations. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, well, the list includes it had a, a fly-by-wire and artificial feedback uh, system, which, for those who don't know, and a fly-by-wire is you have a motor at the bottom of the joystick and a motor at the control surface, and it's sent through a line or a electrical wire, as opposed to having a physical line running back there which was very innovative at the time. Um, mm -hmm. It was also one of the first aircraft to make the entire upper surface of the aircraft a lifting surface, um, which most fighters afterwards tended to use that design. Um, one fighter designed in the 70s, the MiG-25 Foxbat, which, by the way, is one of the fastest mm -hmm. production aircraft ever. You look at pictures yes. of it beside the Arrow, and it's quite, quite, quite... It resembles it quite heavily with the overarching wing. The, um, um, was the MiG Russian? 
Yes, uh, anything with the designation MIG or SU yeah. before it uh, tend to be Russian aircraft. Um, okay. And Russian aircraft so are built very heartily, so you will you'll still find yes. things like that. Uh, let's see. It's, it's built to last. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's um. Its engine, which was the Rolls-Royce RB106, uh, which was in the uh, Mark I of the aircraft, um, yeah. was very influential as well because it was one of the first engines to use only 10 compressor sections with a two-shaft design. Now, there were there were manufacturers out there that were making engines that had 17 compressors and, like, seven yeah. shafts, which is stupidly hard to manufacture it's hard to maintain as well as even though these engines were about the same size as those engines that had you know twice the amount of parts they still had about twice the amount of thrust which was amazing the uh the rolls-royce rb uh 106 had about twenty-one thousand seven hundred fifty pounds of force um which is wow. which is the um for those who don't know is the um it is the way that you measure how powerful an engine is and right. uh the mark ii of the arrow they actually got to a mark ii of it um they used the i'm probably going to pronounce this wrong because i never can get it right orenda engines uh the ps13 iroquois which was actually designed by canada um yeah the RB108 was a uh, British design, um, but the Iroquois was even more powerful. Um, it was it had it was a twin spool turbojet, and it had oh, it had approximately nineteen thousand without afterburning, and while it was afterburning, had about twenty five thousand six hundred pounds force. So it was a good lord. It was a, an amazing engine. Um, so yeah, it was. And the way that the arrow was laid out and everything was just amazing because um, it it fulfilled a – when it was being designed, the aircraft had um, some flight characteristics that they wanted to – they wanted to fulfill. So it it was originally proposed as the AIR-7-3 was what they wanted to fill out this envelope so it had to have a, oh, okay. a crew of two, two engines, a range of at least 300 nautical miles, which is 556 kilometers, um, yeah. and and 200 nautical miles or 307 kilometers for like high speed interception where they would be like, you know, after burning the whole time. Um, it had to take yeah. off from a 6,000 foot runway, which is a pretty standard size runway. It had to have a Mach 1.5 cruising speed. And it had to, and there's a whole bunch of things about it had to be able to do 2G turns without taking, without losing speed and all that. But those are very, that's going like deep, deep, deep into what they wanted. Um, And one of, one of the key design points was actually the fact that had to have a turnaround time on the ground of less than 10 minutes. Oh, wow. And it had to be able to, within five minutes from starting the engine had to be at 50. 50,000 feet cruising at Mach 1.5, which is, for the time, just sounds absolutely insane. Because if you just, yeah. if you told somebody about this, um, that would just sound completely wrong. And there's there's planes these days that actually have a hard time doing that still. It is, it, it's amazing what they did. Um, 
Let's see. I've got a couple more here. Um, yep. <clears throat> one, th- another thing that the arrow had was a what's called a stability augmentation system, which was a computer on board that would help the plane. Even um, it would help the plane fly straighter and would help it through turns and stuff like that and would help it not to stall out. Um, now, some aircraft of the time would have a would have a stability augmentation system with one axis. So it would either be in the uh, the pitch. It was usually the pitch um, axis was where yeah. they would have uh, the stability system. But the Arrow actually had a three axis stability system. So in its pitch, its yaw, and its roll, which at the time was crazy. The fact that you could control all three axis on a single computer and yeah, you know, it was amazing how they did it. Um, another thing that was very, again, everything on this airplane was absolutely phenomenal. Another thing that was amazing was the fact that they would use, uh, magnesium and titanium in the fuselage, which was not done very often because titanium and magnesium at that point were very hard to machine and just very hard to come by in general. But, um, that helped the, uh, that helped the arrow get to its amazing speeds because I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. The maximum speed recorded was Mach 1.98, which is yeah amazing, which, you know, 0.98. Oh man, almost there. Right. But you, t- but yeah. all the, um, all the test pilots, you look at their logs and how they talk about the arrow and stuff like that. And they say that was not at its full potential. You know, they could absolutely have pushed that thing, into a shallow jive and they would easily reach Mach 2. Um, yeah. And there was talk of even, you know, within within the Mark later Mark 2s, even the Mark 3s of the aircraft, if they had kept using mm-hmm. titanium, they could have done what's called super cruising, where the plane would be more efficient and go faster and it would be able to cruise at supersonic speeds without using its afterburner, which there are planes, again, there are planes yeah. today that can't even do that, which is just amazing. It is, yeah, you know, it's, it is quite something. And in the post show, or, or maybe later in this show, I might talk about how, um, how they tested the thing too, which was, yeah. or should I talk about that now? Do you think? If you want to, you can definitely talk about it now. I mean, sure. Um, one thing that was very interesting about the Avro Arrow was the fact that it was a plane that was taken straight to the production, um, straight to the production line, for lack of a better term, uh, which was not done very often. Usually they would make two or three um, prototypes and then they would uh, test them out first for you know safety purposes and stuff like that, and then they would bring them to production. However... Because of timelines and because of the fact that they sort of, you know, the threat of nuclear bombers and stuff like that was a big threat, they decided yep. to just send it straight to the production line. Um, so the way that they tested the aircraft was they got a whole bunch of, they made a whole bunch of scale models. I'm not sure what the scale models were. Do you remember what the scale was? Maybe like a 1 to 10 or something like that? It's... Something like that. Like they're they're definitely smaller. I think there was a variety of sizes, but I yeah, think, yeah, like one to ten. I think there was one sixth was one of them as well. Exactly. So they um, they weren't tiny little you know one to forty eight scale models. They were these 
big, big aircraft. They were still pretty darn big, yeah. Exactly. And so they, they made nine of them. And what they did is they filled them with instruments. They strapped them to the... They strapped them to a solid fuel rocket. And then they <laughs> shot them over Lake Ontario. Um, and then they would take readings on what happened with those models. And they actually also shot two um, into the Atlantic Ocean as well in Virginia because there's a... NACA uh, test facility there, um, where yeah. they they you know they do great stuff there. So, and there have actually been people who have gone diving in the lake and actually found the test model, or at least one of them, which is amazing because yeah. this is a real you know Avro test model. You know, it's uh... so through those test models, they made a couple little adjustments. They did what's called a dog tooth on the wing, where the um, about halfway down the wing, it juts out a bit farther. That helps mm. with high-speed performance. That helps with high-speed stability. Um, again, they had the overmounted wing, which the reason they one of the reasons they did that was a for you know stability and lift, but also for the fact that the weapons bay was underneath them, so it made it super easy to yeah. access. That helped with the ten-minute turnaround time they talked about, and it was just. You know, it was it was just an amazing craft, and so because of that testing, if they, you know, it was they had to do very. This thing was designed on just a piece of paper, and the fact that they it went straight from design to being tested on a rocket, and just oh hey, just a little couple adjustments here, and then turns into this yeah. supersonic fighter that could kick every other fighter's butt you know it is just it is amazing that canada did this and you know it was you know canada oh man canada that little peaceful country you know but it's yeah exactly but yeah so that's uh you know i i would say that's most of the uh you know technical information really it was quite an amazing mm-hmm. aircraft and you know, it, it was a technological marvel for the fifties. Um, you know, to laymen at the time, if you described a plane like the Arrow, they would probably assume that you're just talking about you know some science fiction, or you're just plain crazy. <sighs> I knew it was coming, and it still killed me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, part of the success, I think, of the Arrow, and part of the reason why Avro was um, tapped to make the arrow the way that they were was probably due to their prior successes in the aeronautical industry because up until the point where they were making the arrow, they'd also been making um, the Canuck, which was one of Canada's like most widely used uh, aircraft at the time. Um, it was, yeah. And over the course of its lifetime, they co- built uh, 692 of the things, which is amazing for any aircraft the fact that they built that many and the thing actually no exactly it flew before the avro air was designed and it was and it was retired from at least the canadian air force um i believe in the 1980s so it was a very well designed yeah, aircraft the 80s. 81 i'm pretty sure yeah yeah and i think they still i think some people still use canucks for like various um like just various other things yeah um, for like definitely like i'd heard the name yeah, and well, you guys are obvious, being from Halliburton, you guys are very obvious with the Canuck, <laughs> because outside your high school is just one stuck on there a is also... spire. Yes. Yeah. There is also a Canuck on the spire. Is that actually <laughs> this a is Canuck? True. It is, yeah, it is a CF-100 Canuck. Cool. 
yeah, it's it's pretty it's amazing. It's a CF on the like it's got the it's got all that stuff on the side of it, and uh, they just uh, four or five years ago they actually just redid the paint on it, and it uh, it still looks pretty good at this point. Oh, there, it was, looked, there was a it time where it was starting to look a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a time fairly recently where it was starting to look. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, they served from. It looks like about 1950, 1951 until, as you say, they were retired in the 80s. Yeah, actually, and it, it was actually such an amazing... Time. It is, yeah. And it was such an amazing plane that they actually sold some... They sold uh, 53 Mark Vs uh, from about 1957 to 1960 to the Belgium Air Force, actually. Yes. Yeah, which is yes. such a funny thing to do. But yeah, they, they actually sold some to Belgium. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, they, um, it's, and it's things like that. Like, it's the successes that Avro had had, and even, like, Avro Canada had had. Yeah. Because during the war, they were building those. They were building the Lancasters. They were building, oh, what's the British one? Uh, they built, um, Mosquitoes as well, which was a, uh, very, the, uh, Wood and Wonder. Yes, yes, I remember those. Yeah. Those are, uh, they're quite the, uh, quite the thing. They Um, are. But yeah, like they were involved in a lot of things. They were the ones that built the, uh, oh, what was the the passenger jet that didn't happen? Oh, um, the CF one hundred and two Starliner, or no, not Star. star yeah, I think so. Uh, or, CF C one hundred and two Jetliner. Sorry, my bad. Jetliner, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was in many ways like the um, precursor to the Concorde. Yeah, it was a um, very, it was a extremely fast, extremely efficient um, plane. It just was again wrong place wrong time yes exactly and well, de Havilland beat them just slightly but yeah it, it was a- avro sort of got screwed on that one because of the uh korean war and the priorities with that yeah. sort of took over so yeah avro kind of got screwed in a number of ways but we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that later in the episode um but because of those kinds of successes that's definitely where the arrow comes from exactly um, yeah but then also if you look at the arrow in the space race context during the Cold War, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's definitely a plane of the time. Like if you look at it and you like see what it is, because it's all these new fast technological improvements, mostly to do with computers and things like that. Mm-hmm. That up until the fifties, like, didn't really exist. Um, and even just looking at the shape of it, like you look at the thing and you go, "Okay, is that thing an like an airplane or is it a like a?" Space shuttle, because it looks like it could very mm-hmm. easily be a spacecraft. I mean, it's got twenty times. I I take that back. Probably a hundred times the uh, the gliding efficiency of the space shuttle. But well, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, space shuttle, the flying a, brick. It makes me think of what's the um oh what is that uh, the Virgin guy. Um, Jeff Bezos. Oh yeah, what's yeah, his, yeah, yeah. Uh, What's his plane called? Uh, his one that goes into the atmosphere or whatever goes up uh, into the atmosphere. The White Knight? Or no, no, that's the that's Something the like um that. that's the um sorry, that's the mothership. Uh, spaceship two or something like oh, that. Spaceship one or spaceship two or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but that's like it. You look at those things and you look at the things that they're trying to make nowadays, and they're approaching what the arrow looks like. Like it. The thing about the arrow, obviously, is that it's so compact. Like it's a small thing. Yeah, like, it's, it's well. It's I mean, skinny. It it was like a. It, it's actually um, 
a pretty darn big aircraft, I would actually have to say. It's quite a... Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it is the actual like size of the thing. Fuck. Yeah, it it's uh, what is it here? It's uh, yeah, it's fifty foot wingspan. Uh, it's about seventy eight feet long and about uh, twenty one feet high. So you know, it's it's a fairly big aircraft. But again, that's not exactly a bad thing. I mean, you look at the new F thirty fives; they're bloody huge aircraft. So like, yeah. Exactly, and with what it was being used for, it wasn't going to be used for, like, carrier operations or anything like that, so it didn't need to be compact, it just had to be fast and go high, that was all it was designed for, and it excelled. Exactly. Yeah, no, it would have been, it would have been amazing, and, like, the other side of the Space Race Context thing, the Avro Aero was, you know, uh, brought out to the public on the same day that Sputnik launched. Yes, it uh, was. It was it was brought out is, on the 4th of October 1957. Yeah, which is part of the uh part of the death knell of the arrow actually, which we'll get into, but yeah, it's uh it's just so it's so interesting <laughs> to see like even beyond space because it was the space race, there was also a air race that was happening mm-hmm. that was like just kind of concurrent too and then got surpassed by the space race yeah it's it's interesting because and especially because sometimes the aircraft development could also aid the space race because you could have planes could go higher and test equipment and you know you have planes like the sr-71 or the x-15 which were getting quite high in the atmosphere that were you know (laughs) could contribute to the space race any thoughts maya huh (laughs) <laughs> any thoughts on any of this? I'm just letting you two talk. I have lots of thoughts, but they'll come. They'll come in later. Well, I'll be the oh one letting boy. you talk. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But there, um, the other thing too, as you were, you actually briefly mentioned it, but uh, the arrow had several marks, as they were. Which yes. Are essentially, the different versions of the plane. Yes. Um, so the Mark One, made. there was. Yeah, uh, there were, I think, th- about five Mark ones, I think. What was that? I think there were about five Mark ones that eventually got like made. Um, yeah, so there were uh, five. Yeah, five completed Mark ones, and then yeah. there was actually, I think, a Mark two. Um, yeah, it actually it uh, it was at the end of the program, uh, the first Mark two. Um, which was designated RL-206. Uh, it was ready yes. for taxi trials, um, and it was actually expected to break the world speed record if it had flown. Um, yeah. But yeah. Un- unfortunately, it it never actually left the hangar. Um, yeah, because, yeah. Well, they yeah. never... And, um, and, I'm not 100% certain that they ever fully completed the Oranda engine, like the Iroquois engine. Yeah, they it, were like very close, but it kept getting like delayed and pushed back because it was supposed to be ready for the Mark One. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure it had quite a few. Um, it had a quite a few test firings, I believe, and it, but it just never. Yeah. It just never made it into a plane. Exactly. Yeah, it had. Yeah, it had about f- uh, five thousand hours of ground testing, um, and they had actually yeah. strapped it to the side of a uh, Boeing B forty seven Stratojet. Um, to test it in flight, wow. which, by the way, they everybody says the thing was a hell to fly because the uh, thrust was offset <laughs> because of the thing. But 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it um, it was actually tested extremely. Yeah, it just wasn't fully completed yeah. enough to um, to be put into service. Um, no, exactly. But yeah, so there were actually um, there. Were, so there was going to be a Mark Two A and a Mark Three uh, that were also going to have updated engines. Um, yeah. And so they were going to use some carbon steel as well as well as some titanium, um, and like this thing would be absolutely amazing. And it's actually really funny. So in 2010, um, during the Harper government, when the um, yes. when there was st- still a conspiracy about us possibly getting the uh, Lockheed Martin F-35s um, for oh, our new yeah, fighter, yeah. there were actually a group of people. Um, <laughs> who lobbied in Ottawa to consider domestic production of an updated version of the Avro Arrow. So it, oh, they would have used modern that. materials and engines. Exactly, yeah, but it would have kept the basic design. And mm-hmm. yes, they, you know, the Harper government just, you know, they publicly rejected it. It was like, nope, that's, you know, it's too risky. It would take too long. You know, probably would be expensive, yes. But honestly... I would have lobbied with them because I absolutely believe that the, um, despite the lack of, you know, stealth characteristics and stuff like that, I do believe that the arrow would not be a bad plane even in this day and age. No, I agree. And I mean, we, if it's like for domestic defense and things like that, you don't necessarily need the stealth options to begin with. You really don't, <laughs> You don't need to honestly. sneak around in your own country. Mm-hmm. And like, it... The design of the arrow is perfect for Canada too. Um, it was actually designed to fly from above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, like f- far above that, to you know below like yeah. minus 30, minus 40, which you kind of need in Canada. Um, yeah, especially that high in the atmosphere. Exactly, but also one thing it was also designed with, which a lot of modern planes don't have, which is very useful for Canada, is it was a, a twin engine fighter, which. Yes. Is good to have because if you're flying over the middle of Saskatchewan and one of your engine burns out, if you only got one engine, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah. No, so exactly. it 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 was designed for Canada in mind. So it yes, I think it would still be an amazing plane to this day if it had you know kept going. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Like it it was incredible honestly and that's exactly Mm -hmm. like you learn about it in school and you learn about the things and the and we'll get into it but like the the part about it that's so fascinating is like they had this and they'd like it was fully made they were in production of the models things like that things were going well and then it seems that super abruptly things just stopped and then the government was like get rid of everything yeah that is Shocking. Yeah, the weirdest part is the fact that the government was like, okay, uh, get rid of all of it. And it's just like... Like, literally all of it, yeah. Yeah. I think the only saved pieces are, I believe there is uh, two of the uh, wing tips with the dog tooth on them. Yeah. And what was it? Yeah, so... Prototype number yeah, yeah. The uh, Canadian Aviation Aviation and Space Museum. Pardon me. It's got uh, a nose section and uh, two of the wingtips. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but it is what it is. And there have been efforts to, like, make new ones, but we'll uh, we'll get into that as well. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, there's little doubt that the Avro era was slated to be the most impressive Wonder Child of the Cold War. Time was not on the aircraft side. Uh, the development process had been quick and full of inspiration. Like, it was radical and revolutionary. But... As soon as it was time to put wheels to ground, the development of the Aero slowed significantly, held up by shortages, lack of funding, and technical issues that wouldn't show up on paper. One of the ones that I read about was the uh, landing gear wouldn't basically uh, go in the way that they'd hoped that it would, because mm-hmm. the plane was so narrow that the landing gear literally had to turn in on its own before it went into the plane. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, it, one of those things you don't think about when you're drawing the plane. <laughs> Yeah, it it had quite quite thin landing gear, uh, thin thin yeah. wings. Sorry, so it couldn't fold up into the wings. No, exactly. Eventually, the Avro Canada did get five CF one hundred fives built, albeit with inferior engines, which we talked about because the Iroquois engines were being delayed mm-hmm. in development, as well as several scale test models, as we talked about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, these delays aren't uncommon in the aviation world, but they were you know they took a while. But the breakthroughs that the Arrow was pioneering certainly definitely seemed to be worth the extra time and money. Or at least, that's what the thinking was at the time. That thinking changed in 1957 when the Progressive Conservatives came to power under John Deef the Chief Diefenbaker. The Conservatives had campaigned on a platform of reining in government spending, and as soon as Diefenbaker was up to bat, the Avro, Arrow C- or the Avro CF-105 Arrow began to look like a pretty attractive piñata. <laughs> Diefenbaker, a sober, unfettered man, had never taken kindly to the belligerent drunk that was Crawford Gordon Jr., the owner of A.V. Row Canada Limited. Didn't take much pushing from the U.S. for Diefenbaker to cut funding to the Aero Project and instead focus on NORAD and the new Bomark anti-aircraft missiles America was peddling. He, like, literally they sent, as soon as the Conservatives came into power, because um, there had been discussion, as you said, uh, with America about potentially buying some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as the conservatives came into power, they got a like a note back from uh, America in the middle of the negotiations that were like, we don't want any of those anymore. And the government was just like, that's cool. And they sent it back like no problem. And that surprised even America because America was like, aren't you going to like fight us on the fact that we came went back on something we said? <laughs> like he literally like, <laughs> It definitely seems like Diefenbaker just hated the project. Um, yeah. But within two years of the Conservatives coming into power, the CF-105 Aero project was scrapped, the original test models were dismantled, and almost all physical records of the plane were destroyed. The Aero had missed its mark without ever being fired. Wow. That's just brutal. Yeah, it's, it's rough, and it only gets worse from there. After the cancellation of the Aero, as well as the freeze in funding for most of Avro's other kind-of-out-there projects, which we'll get to, the company was left reeling without a windfall to fall back on. The company was dissolved in 1962 by its parent company, the Hawker Siddeley Group, leaving over 50,000 people unemployed and still reeling from the death of Canada's most advanced aircraft. The airfields Avro Canada had once owned were sold to other aviation companies, passing hands throughout the various years, and eventually ending up with Boeing, who destroyed the buildings in 2003? Uh, so, you know, it like, physically speaking, the plane is pretty much gone. Like, as we yeah. say, we've got two or three pieces, but 
it's legacy is the thing. Like it's it's got the legacy, but the physical aspects and like the we think we have most of the technical specs. Like that's what we've we've mm-hmm. covered a lot of today because like over the years they've kind of come out because there are people that worked on the project obviously, and while they weren't supposed to talk about it, I'm sure some of them did talk about it. Nobody ever stays completely all, quiet. No, exactly, and not all of the documents were destroyed, mm-hmm. uh, despite what Diefenbaker wanted. So, like, we do have some information on it, and that's why that from that information we're like, holy cow, this thing is, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think that the legacy of the Arrow comes from that as much as from the way that... The, it was essentially... It was a project that was being dealt with, obviously, through the Canadian Air Force and, like, was technically connected to government that way. But by and large, it was a private company project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the government basically stepped in and said, fuck you. Um, and then that was kind of the end of the project because it was getting a lot of funding from the government, which we, we know, but without that interest and without anybody to buy it, it couldn't go anywhere. And as he said, like we didn't end up wanting it. The foreign governments didn't want it. I read an article that was basically like the only people that could have used it were Russia and they were the people we were fighting. So yeah, they were sort of, and some uh, co- uh, countries, actually, when we offered to them, I think it was actually um, Great Britain at the time, we offered it to them, and they go, they go, I mean, we don't really want it, but do you want ours? Like, they, like nobody really, nobody was really, um, you know, yeah, looking to get nobody a new really... aircraft. Es- especially at that That's time. That's exactly it. Sorry, yeah, especially at that time, um, procurement of uh, um, international aircraft was a very touchy subject because aircraft yes. made in the country was a very big thing. The fact it's like, hey, our planes were made in our country. You know, like that's that was a kind of a big thing. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think Maya might get into that a bit when she gets into the uh, conspiracies about all this. Oh, do I ever? But uh, exactly, that is <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> a thing about it. Yeah, but uh, as we say, like <laughs> it's really it's interesting to see how. We always think that, like, these things, and, like, from what I heard even when I was a kid, it's like, they basically, they scrapped the project and everything was destroyed completely, is the narrative that they used to, that they used to sell. Mm -hmm. And yet, we have a nose cone, we have the uh, wingtips, we Mm -hmm. have just discovered a friggin' an entire scale model in the, uh... Exactly. Lake Ontario. And even beyond Mm -hmm. that, when we didn't really have anything... We had enough of an idea of what it looked like and, like, the plans for it that we started trying to build our own scale models. <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually um, – there's an there's a website that I sent to you guys, and I'm, it's in our supplementary yeah. files, I believe, called the Avro Museum. And if you go into – they have a little tab called Library. If you go in there, there's one for the CF-105 Aero. Uh, Aero sorry, my bad. Um, it yeah. has so many photos of the thing. And it's got technical drawings, and it's got, like, you, you'd you be like, oh, man, there's nothing left of this thing. No, there is, like, I'm looking at a drawing right now that says secret on it. And it's got every single, <laughs> it's got, like, all of the, um, like, it's got all the technical data and stuff like that on it. And, yeah, you know, and as hard as they try, like, if you go to the um, uh, Space and Aeronautics Museum in Ottawa, you take a look at the nose cone and wings there was no care taken to take them apart. There were there are just oh no plasma cutter cuts just right along it. They basically just 
I think just went around the nose and dropped it off. Like it, it's just, it's terrible that yeah, this that's... amazing thing was just scrapped. Yeah, yeah, desecrated is a good word. Um, yes, it is. But uh, no, they um, that's exactly it. Like, I think that a lot of that comes from as well. The government sent out sent out the missive to scrap the project and get rid of everything to do with it. The people working on the project definitely would not have been happy with that. Exactly. And so I think that that's probably part of why we have so many documents. Because they didn't make it actively known that they had taken the documents and, like, were keeping them for themselves. (laughs) But I get the feeling that a lot of the people that were working on the project probably went, we can't just get rid of these. Exactly. And And that's... It's... And also any personal copies that would have had, you know, that would have been there, you know, it's not like there was only one set of blueprints, you know, and yeah. And also exactly. Another thing is that um, you guys might get into this later, but the fact that these employees probably would have known that, hey, this is a huge thing. Like this could mean the death of us if this gets canceled. Like I'm sure it was not. I'm sure the yeah, as you say, the employees weren't just like, all right, let's cancel it. You know, like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not like herdedur. I'm glad to be unemployed. <laughs> Especially in the aircraft industry, man, that job was so hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, it's and it's really interesting, and it's definitely it's kind of developed to a point of Canadian folklore because you look at the Arrow, and as we'll get into in the post show, you look at like the Avro car. Yeah. Um, and you look at the different various things that Avro was, like, trying to make. Yeah, you look, and, like, you look at all the different things that they were planning make. on doing. And there becomes this whole, well, what what could have happened? Like, if we, if the Arrow hadn't been cancelled and Avro had remained successful, what could have happened? Like, what, uh, what could have developed in that time frame? Because mm-hmm. there are some really interesting things. Like, the people that created the Canadarm. The um the spar oh absolutely uh, yeah special yeah. projects and research they're literally the special projects section from Avro that just ended up getting picked up by a diff or like basically ended up making their own company exactly which is fascinating like it's so it's so interesting to see where things took off and ended up because of everything that occurred and mm-hmm. think about it that way like if this hadn't happened. The Canadarm would probably be the Avro Canadarm. Probably, yeah. And it might not be the only thing that we had in space, because Avro had plans for a lunar lander and, like, a lunar rover. Yeah, they did. Sorry, I don't know about the lander. I know they had the rover. Um, Yeah. And, like, again, like, I was one of the articles that we were reading, and I think it was CBC, so, I mean, take it with a bit of a grain of salt, because it's not, like, an official document. But, like, there are definitely some people that believe that, like, we essentially would have had our own NASA if we'd left, uh, like, Avro alone. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the, C- the CSA would definitely be a lot bigger than it than it is now. Oh, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. The CSA being the Canadian Space Agency. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, it's all amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so I guess we've kind of covered the Arrow and we've covered... Uh, <clears throat> the cancellation of the yeah. arrow, but uh, I don't think that we've quite gotten to why the arrow was canceled. Exactly. Um, 
And I think that uh, I think Maya has two or three words about this. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, all that stuff is all well and good, but really, it, it comes down to like the Outer Arrow. I mean, we can say it again. It was one of the most technologically advanced, like airplanes, like preliminary spacecraft, whatever you want to call it, like ever made. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the ultimate downfall, though, of the planes was the time that they were designed and tested. So they were made at both the perfect time and the most inopportune moment in history, really. Yeah. So, I mean, it was part of, like, you know, the airplane space race, like, technological race that was going on. Um, the space race was gaining speed after World War II. Cold War was ramping up. And it was the kind of technology that people, especially military powers, were looking for. Yep. But it also acted as a double-edged sword. Because I think it's safe to say that we can all agree that the United States is the world's military superpower. This is very yeah, true. Well, in terms of spending and in terms of size, yeah. So, um, they've pretty much been considered that since the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I think. And um, while the USA and Russia were, you know, playing a potentially lethal game of chicken during the latter half of the 20th century, there's no question that either country could have <laughs> taken each other out as well as other countries surrounding them out very easily. Like... There are whole sections of history that revolved around the fact that, like, they could have nuked the world. Uh, Yeah, the policy of MAD, mutually assured destruction. So, this left Canada, though, in a very precarious position. So, we share one of, like, we do share the longest border with the United States. Um, We have a very interesting relationship with the United States because it is technically the world's longest unprotected border. (laughs) But we also technically share a border with Russia because we have, like, the Arctic connection to them. They pretty much can, like, I mean, not now, as we've discussed in previous episodes about melting ice caps, but um, we did really (laughs) hold control of the North with uh, the Russia and, you know, Alaska, which is the reason why the United States wanted Alaska, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> they, like we were really in a precarious position because we had military bases set up in you know northern Canada so that the U.S. could keep an eye on Russia. They have found um, Russian technology that was left on remote islands in northern Canada and like Newfoundland. Um, pretty sure they have one of like it was a monitoring station or something. It's in the uh, aerospace museum. What do you mean? It's only a weather station. It's a weather station, in quotation marks. It is weather station, comrade. comrade. <laughs> we must monitor the weather. Um, but, like, they found them on remote islands. And the islands. location of the nuclear vessels. They found them on remote islands in Canada, and it's like, there was Russian presence in Canada during the Cold War that we didn't know about. So, we were kind of stuck between the two people with the big guns. It's like... We came to the gunfight when we were like, um, I don't even have a knife, guys. So. I mean, it was a Mexican standoff, and we were the third guy that's just there. <laughs> yeah, fair. Fair. 
I love so, playing monkey in the middle with a nuclear bomb. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, like, we were pretty much stuck in the middle of the Cold War because it's like, um, I mean, we've always been a fairly socialist country, but we kind of have to side of the United States because they're kind of like the older brother and it's like, okay, we don't want to piss you off, please. But at the same time, like, we've always had good international relations, so it's like, you can't be too buddy-buddy with Russia, but you also <laughs> can't, like, really be too buddy-buddy with the United States because they're crazy. We used to have good international <laughs> relationships. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm talking history here. We're not talking right now, because right now we're just, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, an arcana of worms. Yeah, but... So, my question is, have either of you heard of or are you familiar with something called the lockheed u2 yes i am (laughs) why yes i am (laughs) so you obviously know what it is so for the listeners who don't know the lockheed u2 is like the united states's big like intelligence gathering airplane it's called the u2 spy plane um sometimes called dragon lady it literally is like a single jet engine ultra high altitude like recon aircraft um it was used by the cia for a time before it was then taken over um, into the air force and it like was running missions during the cold war over countries without being noticed gathering intelligence from the air Day, night, whenever it was there. Um, there was actually a huge conspiracy because one yes. was shot down in 1960 over the Soviet Union. Yeah, it was shot down by and a it was not air su- missile. Um, and yeah. another, a, a second one was actually shot down during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So what you're saying is... Yes, there was one there as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've ever seen um, the movie Br- Bridge of Spies? Yeah, so they've... They've um, taken part in, like, a bunch of post-Cold War conflicts, too, including, like, in Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, they've also been used in several NATO missions. And they're, they're still being used today. Now they're mostly used for, like, research, like, like sat- satellite calibrations, um, communication purposes, stuff like that. Um, they've mounted, like, big weather things on they them. They said it was now, weather like, balloon. radar things on them now. Um it's one of the longest-serving aircrafts in the uh, United States Air Force, <laughs> yeah. I believe, after, just after, like, Boeing. So, uh, but, like, they've received upgrades as recently as 2012. <laughs> yes, they have. So, this plane, though, was first yeah. flown in 1955. <laughs> now, at the time, I mean, this plane is still incredibly advanced it's uh it's still one of it's a major player in especially espionage so when you have the united states our our neighbor next door using a plane like the u2 for military like reconnaissance purposes and then canada who really has no grounds in a fight between the united states and russia building something that could possibly rival it like, that's insanity. So, you could argue, it is argued, that one reason that the Avro Era project was cancelled was because of pressure 
from the CIA at the time on the Canadian government going like, you can't have this because it threatens our yeah. military capabilities. Like This is we, very true. We almost had a fighter jet more advanced than their most advanced spy plane. So, like, anybody in the CIA was going, uh, guys, this is not cool. They cannot have that. Especially because we weren't in any sort of agreement that we had to sell it to the United States. But it would look terrible. They couldn't have bought it from us anyways. Like, if they had to buy a Canadian spy plane, like, they're supposed to be the military superpower. It would be an embarrassment. It would be... Not even an embarrassment, though. It would, like be a mark on their reputation so they couldn't have even bought it from us yeah because it like you know they have to have the be the ones to build it like you said it was a big deal to have a plane built and made in your country it was a sense of pride but it was also like we are capable of taking care of ourselves yeah. we don't need help from anyone else mm-hmm. so that that's that's one kind of point of pressure another point of pressure is like also, if the United States didn't buy it from us for, you know, reason like reasons that we already mentioned, also that means that we would have had to sell it to someone else, like the UK or Russia would have bought it. Like you know Russia would have been like, "Oh, they don't want it. Yeah, we want it." But like we couldn't really have done that either because then that means we're supplying weapons to the enemy of the United States, and that puts us in an even worse position with the US. <laughs> So it's just it's just not a good yeah. time. It like we had the perfect plane and then really we couldn't do anything with it cuz we weren't a superpower and we couldn't give it to either of the superpowers cuz it would piss the other one off. So yeah. It's just it it it's heavily speculated that Diefenbaker was threatened kind of you know like you guys can't have this kind of technology like you just can't but he also was known for being kind of like the stiff upper lip guy wasn't really into that kind of thing anyways so it might have been like a you can't have this and he was like okay i don't want it anyways so whatever so that's why they would have been told to probably destroy everything because they couldn't have sold even the plans to the united states it would still be, no, this is of Canadian design. Yeah. Like, why can't we design anything better? And if they design something better using our plans, mm-hmm. they're still going, well, we still had to have help from Canada to do it, right? So it, it might have taken very little pressure from the United States um, on Diefenbaker's part to make that decision. But the really, the total destruction of all the plans, or <laughs> what should have been total destruction, um, was really just strategy of like okay well yeah. if we can't have it then no one can um it might have mm-hmm. been a little a little bit of like canada snubbing people too like well you don't want it fine no one can have it ever so mm-hmm. um we know that like a lot of pieces survived this what was supposed to be a purge um you know, there's been drawings, um, some documents are found, pieces of, of of the planes, entire scale models, like you guys have said. And, like, the, some of this all remained. And then you were saying things like, kind of maybe got pushed under the table a little bit, like, 
oh, I have this personal copy of this thing that I've kept. So they said they destroyed everything, but really quite a lot of information about the planes, including mass amounts of photos, are all over the, like, the internet. So it mm-hmm. might have been that some of this stuff has survived through some sort of like underground trade deal. Like, oh, I have this document that I saved. I'll sell it to you, but you don't have to ever say that you ever got it, like, whatever, right? So some of this stuff might have survived through kind yeah. of under-the-table dealings. Uh, to try to, you know, make a quick buck or to go, well, we really can't buy it from you legally, so we'll we'll buy like buy slash steal the information kind of under the table from you. So um mm-hmm. another thing like you guys mentioned, it was really Canada's only like military aircraft I would say that we've ever really made. Um like just like fighter jet. Um there's a new push now to bring it back for 2020. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, from the scale models, have pretty much like retro. What's it like? What's Retrofitted? it called? Like, re- re- reverse engineered. Okay. No, like reverse engineered. Ah. Like Avro Arrow models from the model they found. So like they're like. I'd believe it. Their, their, their disposal, their purge of all that information was terribly done. Because, like, <laughs> they've pretty much reverse en- engineered the Avro aeroplane. And um, it's just, like, it could easily be built again. Really, it could. Um, and I'm sure now, like, while you guys were talking about, the, like, the Iroquois engines and stuff, those engines were great. But, like, we have pretty good engines now, too, um, that... Could even oh, yeah. be made even better to fit a plane of this caliber. So, um, also, like you, you know, there's going to be people who go, well, if there was trade done under the table of like parts of the Aberware and stuff, why do we not see them in use in planes now? It's no secret that the military always used technology before it's released to civilians. Like they had internet years before. Civilians had it. Yeah. They had cell phones, stuff like that, like good models of yeah. cell phones before, you know, we ever did. Uh, anything that w- gets released to us now always has its roots in military use, especially in places like the United States. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, if you think that there is not some sort of high tech plane or that this technology is being u- used in things like drones or other things, um, and like, like you think you should know about it? No, like you're, you're delusional because of course you're not going to know about it because they don't want you to know about it. Yeah. It's um, true. Yeah. Um, another kind of plausible theory is that there was a problem with Quebec. Okay. So you want to elaborate on that? Really? Yeah, I'm just trying to, um, you know, like, a lot of things were saved in the destruction, but, um, so the project was under some control of the National Aeronautical Establishment, which is a a branch of the National Research Council, but the NAE really didn't want to 
necessarily destroy everything because they had several like very high profile disputes with the um with Avro. Yeah. And like all the disputes ended up being resolved in Avro's favor. So before the destruction of the planes was ordered, the National Research Council actually was approached and asked if they could hold one or two of the completed prototypes. They refused, though, because they didn't have the budget or the manpower to hold, like, a sensitive, like, um, military craft like that. Hmm. But um, it's possible, keeping, like, that in mind, that the Diefenbaker government actually engineered the cancellation of the Aero Project to pay off the uh, then Premier of Quebec... Because of the services he huh. rendered to the Diefenbaker government in the 1958 election. So the premier of Quebec at the time was Maurice uh, Duplessis. Yes, Maurice Duplessis. And he went to great personal expense to weaken the Liberal Party in Quebec, which paved the way for the Conservative landslide win. So he selected 50 ridings. So anyone not familiar with Canadian politics is just like the voting regions. He selected 50 ridings where he felt the Liberals could be defeated, picked uh, Union National candidates, invested $15,000 per riding, and then the Conservatives won every single one of those 50 seats in Quebec. Wow. So, it is interesting that one of those newly elected members of Parliament was Raymond O'Hurley, who then became the new Minister of Defense Production. Yeah. So, uh, Duplessis would have been, uh, like, the transfer... Uh, he, he would have seen the transfer of the, the aircraft um, manufacturing from Toronto to Montreal. So, in 1959, um, when they replaced um, one of the planes, the CF-100 in Europe, with the Lockheed uh, 104 Lightning, um, like, <laughs> they were built under license in Canada. So the contract of the engine went to Orenda and the contract to build the aircraft went to Canada in Montreal. Um, but like all, through all of this, there was word, you know, on the street, like rumor that Avro was the low bidder. So it could have been literally just politics that killed the Avro arrow there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that you could look at is so this is just after um, other events that you could call um, a little out there this would have been the 50s this is right okay. after major alien sightings so oh boy. while Canada didn't have any major like extraterrestrial sightings or UFO sightings you know We've mentioned the two big ones, which happened later, but, like, yeah, Roswell was in the 40s, and it could be yeah. possible that, you know, some of the Avro Aerotech maybe was too advanced because it was alien. So, it could have also been, like, the U.S. government was like, no, you can't have that because you shouldn't even have that anyways. Um... And at the time, Maya. who was the president of the United States during all this? Who was the president of the United States at this time, Maya? It was Dwight D. Eisenhower. 
And do you know what Dwight D. Eisenhower has to do with aliens? What does Dwight D. Eisenhower have to do with aliens, Maya? <laughs> he is purported to have signed a treaty with the uh, with an extraterrestrial race known as the Greys, um, to that they would give some technology to the United States if the United States let them abduct a certain amount of people every year. <sighs> ha. Maya? Yes? How would we, as Canadians, have gotten our hands on alien technology from Roswell? I didn't say from Roswell. There could have been an alien uh, landing in Canada that was whatever. Maya? If an alien landed in Roswell or in Canada in the 50s, why haven't we heard about it? If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to see it, did it still fall? The government must have been there to see it. Well, I mean... Are you telling me that 60 years later, with all of the changes in government and the craziness that was Stephen Harper in his last few years, we didn't hear about anything? I'm just saying, it's a possibility here. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Another thing that's a little less suspect is that there's a possibility that, like, some of the project didn't get shut down at all, and it actually continued to run in other countries. So whether it was not the United States or possibly even England, because in England recently okay. they found two full ejection seats from the Avro Arrow, um, which one um, expert in the field said that, like, the seats actually looked like they had um, wear from... Be- uh, use between a hundred and a thousand hours. So, um, the UK actually has like an official secrets act, which releases information in 30, 50 and a hundred year intervals. So I think we just passed the, what the 50 year mark for the Avro arrow. We did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We would have. Yeah. So that's how we found out about things like the ejection seats. Cause they're like, yeah, we have like seats from the Avro arrow that are like, were used. So, um, there's a possibility... That's crazy. There's a possibility that they think that at least one plane, or for some reason, parts of the plane made it to England, and, like, they showed signs of, like, obvious use. So, that's a little bit strange, but there's a possibility that in another 50 years, we may get more information about that. Yeah, hit me up. Plane, uh, fighter jets and things like that. Uh, yeah. How interchangeable are the seats if they're from the same company? Uh, um. Well, um, <laughs> that's an interesting question actually because um, the if you're talking about ejector seats, if you're talking to most fighter pilots, they would say that if you pull an ejected, if you pull your ejector seat, you're making a Martin Baker exit. Um, Martin Baker has been making ejection seats for years, ever since ejection seats were, um, were designed to be a thing. Martin Baker has been making, making them. Um, I don't know how interchangeable they are. Um, do you think it's conceivable? But still, it's still, even if they interchange them, that still means that parts of the plane were then reused. They were not destroyed like we think. That means that parts of the Avro Arrow planes were taken and recycled. Which Maya, in of itself that is, is suspect. That is very, that is, I agree with Maya on that one. 
That is very possible. I think that that's almost confirmed based on the fact that we have a nose cone and two, uh, two wingtips. <laughs> exactly. No, but but it's, it's very suspect because, like, I mean, like Dan was saying, like, it looked like it was just, like, laser cut off or whatever, or, like, the, the nose. It wasn't... Not even laser. Like, it was yeah, just some, some sort of... Yeah, probably, yeah. hair, right? So if you're just no, yeah. no, no. apart a plane... There was for no the care. ...for the wings and the nose to display... Those. Why would you take care to remove things like the ejector seats so that they can be reused in other aircraft? Maya, if they are specifically something that can be reused, why would you not try to take them out in a way that you could reuse them? But who's to say that more of the technology did (laughs) then not get used in other things, which still means that in some way, like, they got used in other... I think that by having ejector seats from the Abro Arrow that were used in other places, there's a possibility that more of the technology used in the planes was given to other companies, to other people, which in and of itself d- means that the project continued in some way. I think they had to break it up. I agree. So that they wouldn't get like, hey, you're still continuing the Abro Arrow. Well, no, no, no. Like, uh, this person sold this under the table and this person sold these pieces and, you know... So I, I think there's a lot of, um, there was yeah. something else going on there that wasn't necessarily seen. Well, yeah. if, if you think about it in a legacy sort of way, the Avro project did continue because as we already talked about special projects and research spar is literally the like special projects section of Avro, which somehow stuck together and like is, is still making things right. So yeah, like, yeah. You're absolutely right. Like certain things, they they are still definitely out there. Um, and I don't, as you say, I don't, I don't think the thing ever actually like ended. Like I don't think that the project was ever completely ended the way that they wanted it to be. Yeah, which I think in and of itself though is a problem because it's like, okay, well, who took on that and what? Like, I think that means like more of the technology though could be being used in other things that we're not seeing at the moment. Yes, exactly. So it's like people people want to bring back these planes and like Harper shut them down like no we can't, and like, there's a big push to like okay well we need to like like we can redesign the plane and like we can make it better and whatever for modern time, and there's so much going no 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 like we can't do that we're not even gonna think about it we're not considering it. It's almost like, what do you know that we do not about that project? Like, did... I think there is some some form that it's like, no, like, there is an Avro Arrow, maybe under a different name, that continued. And that's why we can't, like, you know, revive it now, because it never really died as a project. Yeah. 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 Okay. I agree. Yeah, that's a... Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all of the uh, all the things. <laughs> oh, man, that's it? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that that's probably going to be a pretty solid episode. I think this might be one of the longer ones, honestly, which uh, is a good Honestly, thing. yeah. I mean... You leave me to rant on about aircraft, that's what you get. Oh, no, that's that's exactly what we brought you in, Dan. We're so glad to have you friggin' leading this episode because you 
know so much and the information is so important on a case like this. Oh, I love talking about stuff like this, so I'm, I mean, I'm glad you guys had me in. Yeah, well, because if you hadn't been here, like, Maya and I would have just devolved into probably, like, the myth and the legend and whatnot, as opposed to the reality of what the plane was, which in and of itself mm. is still fascinating and still amazing. Like, it's... Oh, it's absolutely. almost one of those truth is stranger than the fiction sorts of stories. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But uh, it's, yeah, it's a technological marvel, as we said, for the 50s. And, like, it is insane to me that it's, like, it's not obviously it wouldn't be, like, the best contemporary plane. But I it could no. absolutely still be in operation. Like, I could definitely see that had it, like, had it worked. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you look at the MiG-25, you look at, like, the... Uh... The North American B-70 Valkyrie, you look at, like, yeah. the F-15, stuff like that, you can just see all the similarities of how this technology, they thought, hey, this could work pretty well in the 50s. These days, they go, hey, this is the best way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. But, uh, yeah, all right, I guess that's probably good for our conversation about the Arrow. Um, so probably. I guess... Now my and I will probably go through our pre-roll or our roll that we always do with everything that we have to frigging go through. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> there are so many things to go through nowadays. We have a Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at the Spoop Files. Uh, we have an Instagram. We're at the Spoop Files. We have a Twitter. It's just at Spoop Files, right? Right, Maya. I think it's at the Spoop Files. Okay, well, you'll find it at one of those two things, anyways. Uh, we have an email. You can email us, spoopfiles at gmail.com. Well, thespoopfiles at gmail.com. Um, it's at thespoopfiles, Alex, for everything. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, that's right. You tried to unify it. I remember now. Um, we have a Tumblr, apparently. <laughs> Maya started a Tumblr for us. Oh, my God, that's uh, exciting. Right? This is it 2000 again? <laughs> <laughs> Greetings from the year 2012, 2000. Alex. 2000 was MySpace. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, you're right. That would be that would be what would that be? That'd be um, blogger or uh, live journal. Blogspot. Uh, anyways. <laughs> oh man, live journal. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you can obviously you've probably found us if you're listening to us. But you can find us on Google Play, iTunes. We're on Podbean. I think that we're we have an RSS feed, so it comes up on certain things. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, you're enjoying what you've heard from us. You uh, you you know, like the banter between Maya and myself. You like the guest host that we have. I love the guest host we have this week. Um, Aww. If you like all that sort of stuff, uh, maybe suggest it to your friends to listen, things like that. We we obviously want to get a slightly larger audience. We, uh, I think we have about 15 dedicated listeners generally, um, but it'd be nice to... Uh, be nice to get more people listening. I understand that, uh, you know, we're not necessarily the most exciting human beings, but we try to keep it fresh. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all of it. Uh, sorry for all the marketing and stuff, but it's something we feel we have to do every episode. And, uh, you know, just got to make sure that uh, y'all are having a good time. That people on, know you're out there. Note, exactly. On that note, also shout out to Andrew Watton for becoming our second patron. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. Another one of my friends. You have nice my friends. My friend. Yeah, I apparently have rich friends is what I have. 
<laughs> Isn't that <laughs> don't, right? Don't call Pan? me a rich friend yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I guess that uh, that's probably good for uh, for that too. So I think we've probably covered everything we're going to cover this episode. I um, think so. I stay tuned for next week. I can't remember what exactly we're doing, but I'm sure it'll be a fun one. Uh, I have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. And uh, if you're a if you're a patron, which I know two of you are, one of whom is on the podcast right now, um, feel free to listen <laughs> hey. to our uh, post show where uh, we'll be discussing some of the other fun Avro projects. Spoiler: We're yeah, talking we about the be. Avro car. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I've been Alex, and I've been Maya. And I've been your Captain Daniel. Yes. And this has been an episode of They Spoop Files. What did we learn this week? Dan, what did we learn this week? Uh, that we're pretty good in-flight entertainment. Hey, I'm a, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, we, learned, we learned that Canada can kick ass making aircraft. This is true. Well, could kick ass making aircraft. If, if oh, we did. If we didn't care so much about being like the nice ones, we could be the mean ones. The Spoop Files is not representative of or endorsed by any of the institutions referenced during the program. The opinions expressed during the show are the host's own, and any advice offered during the program is to be followed only at the listener's expense. Have an idea for a mystery or cryptid the Spoop Files team should investigate? Let us know. You can send us an email at thespookfiles at gmail.com. Or, if you've moved into the 21st century, you can tweet us at The Spoop Files. Too much writing? Send us a quick pic on Instagram, at The Spoop Files. Ken is like me in high school. He just didn't apply himself. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Right? <laughs>